Hey, welcome to the CEO Anonymous podcast with Pradeep Sangha, a captivating platform designed for CEOs, business owners, and entrepreneurs like you. Our goal is to provide insightful answers to your burning business or personal performance questions. So join our panel of experts as they share their powerful wisdom and expertise. We greatly appreciate your participation. And to submit your questions, simply go to askperdeep.com. Now let's get to the show and delve into the heart of today's question. So welcome back to the Business Brothers Podcast. My name is Pradeep Sangha. I am the co-host for the show. My brother Harjit Sangha is on a little bit of a hiatus right now. He's busy with his two young sons. If, if you haven't uh, heard, he has a son. His name, his older son's name is Axel. And he just recently, a few months ago, had his second son. And he named him Ronan. So you can say my brother is a little bit busy here. So I am taking the lead on hosting the podcast. And today we have some... <laughs> Pretty cool guests here today. We have Pramod and Jeevan Sharma. They are family business owners, but they also help family business businesses themselves. So Pramod and, and Jeevan, welcome to the show here today. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You guys are in a very interesting space. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about what you guys do and your background. Sure. I'm Pramod. And what we do is life and health insurance for uh, people who have needs, people who have wants, and also people who have the desire to give gifts. And so that includes family businesses, which is your audience here. Mm, very interesting. And uh, I'm Jeevan Sharma, uh, as mentioned. Uh, and so I help my dad with the business. So I do a lot of the back end work here at Taxevity. Also, things like preparing illustrations for clients or client presentations or marketing materials, things of that nature. Uh, and by nature, or my training rather, as as a, a CFP. Oh, interesting. So you're a CFP. Great. And so Taxevity, I got to ask, where did that name come from? Well, as you know, with branding, it's very hard to find a web URL that isn't taken if you want a .com. Mm -hmm. And in our world, insurance is used for tax planning in many situations, it's it's a tool that has many advantages there. And so if you look at the transferable actuarial risks, like, okay, you're a CFP, I'm an actuary and family enterprise advisor, there's mortality, morbidity, disability, longevity, taxevity kind of fits into that. Mm -hmm. So it's it, in a sense, it's saying that taxes can last for a very long time also. And we help with strategies uh, that include insurance to help deal with some of those concerns. Mm, that's pretty interesting. So when you say an actuary, I'm, I'm super interested in that because when I think that, I think numbers, math, all these formulas. Can you Maybe you can uh, enlighten me in terms of what an actuary does. Well, an actuary is trained to measure and manage risks. So that's really the core. And when I started off, there weren't many places that actuaries worked. It was mainly insurance companies, consulting companies, or the government. And over time, it's expanded quite a bit. So there are actuaries working in, in climate change and all sorts of other sorts of, of, of risks. But in my case, it was more about transferring risks that are morbidity, disability, longevity, mortality. So kind of like conventional life and health insurance. 
Hmm, interesting. So it sounds like you have a pretty interesting combo here. Uh, similar to my brother and I, he's kind of the numbers, he's a corporate finance, the wealth management guy, and I have all the other stuff. So Jeevan, you're you're in the financial planning space, or you have your CFP. How does that add to what your your dad is doing on the actuary side and on the family enterprise side? So it adds a little bit of extra, uh, I suppose, context for us when we're dealing with uh, things like corporate cases. So when it comes to more of the mechanical side of things, um, in terms of you know, say, RDTOH or things of that nature, um, where you know I'm not an expert when it comes to corporate tax planning or uh, corporate finance by any means, but um, if a client you know is incorporated or if a family business is incorporated, um, it does add that extra little bit of expertise there. Um, in terms of more of the personal planning side, uh, that can also play a role because there are certain aspects when it comes to personal insurance planning, like, uh, you know, CPP, uh, things, things like that, uh, which are important to, to know about. And certainly my father does know about those things, but it was important that I knew about them as well. So getting the CP designation uh, was a good way of going about that. Yeah. And what you might find is that contrary to what the designations may say, Jeevan is probably more of the numbers person than I am, even though we've had different yeah. training. So my interest tends to be more on the marketing side, for example. And so we do have very complementary skills, but they they work together to end up helping clients. Mm, that's very interesting. So uh, your guys' combination here, why should family business owners care about what you guys do? So what is it that you help them with? Well, we help them with a range of different things. Family business owners have additional complexity in their lives because they've got the business, they've got the family, they've got the ownership considerations. And so as an example, uh, if you've got a family business and one child is in the business mm -hmm. and another child isn't, that, and you want to be fair, where you think that fair means each of them gets the same inheritance, mm -hmm. then what do you do? You want to give one the one child in the business the business and then cash to the other child so that they're treated in a way that seems fair or, or in this case equal. So insurance is a way to create that cash so that that liquidity is there and the business can continue and the children outside the business can also continue. So insurance can help in ways like that. You probably have other ideas. Certainly. So um, we have clients who have been working in their family business for maybe, you know, usually they've started uh, in many cases where they've been doing what they've been doing for 30 or 40 years. And for much of that time, um, they didn't really see the money piling up, right? They had kids, they had mortgages, they were paying for <laughs> university educations. But now- You're talking about me? No. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, okay. People. <laughs> General. Well, you're not, you're not a client. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, those those types of clients, uh, you know, sort of turn around. Um, well, their accountants turn them around, really, and they say, "Look, you've been accumulating money like quite a significant amount for the past five or ten years because you don't really have any liabilities. Your kids have grown up mm -hmm. and moved out. Um, you're sitting on a whole pile of cash. Uh, let's find ways to use that to enhance your net worth even further." Um, and it might not immediately sound like insurance has any place in that discussion, but um, it's actually quite crucial to um, protecting that net worth if someone were to pass away, because the government, um, of course, does like to take a cut of mm -hmm. everyone's uh, everyone's money. Definitely. So paying for that um, with insurance gets often much cheaper overall than simply, you know, giving the government uh, a slice of of your financial pie. 
Um, it can also help with uh, estate generation for uh, younger business owners who haven't quite reached that uh, wealth accumulation stage, um, at least not significantly. Uh, and there are other benefits, for example, sheltering um, corporate assets from the uh, passive investment uh, taxation, which is quite punitive across uh, most of the provinces and territories. So there are uh, many ways that insurance can help there. You know, I, I really like your approach and the tax equity part actually makes a lot of sense because when most people think of insurance, they think of okay, death or something that they're not happy with. But this is an opportunity to actually, like you said, give gifts, equalize or make things more fair, um, have tax advantages. It seems like it's a real tool or there's a number of tools that you have in your toolkit to help family business owners increase their wealth, reduce the risk and actually make family members, I'm going to say, a little bit happier with the end outcome. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, thank you for that summary. So insurance in our marketplace is used primarily for wants. It's not that the clients need the insurance, they have assets, but by using insurance, they could be in a better place. Our challenge is educating people because sometimes insurance has been presented to them in ways that make it look too good to be true, that it's just magical, it does all these things. And it's not, it's just a financial asset. And the question is whether it's the right choice or whether there's something else that would be better for those clients. So we need to educate the clients. We also need to educate their advisors. And I guess that's where my actuarial training can be of value because I actually develop products. And so knowing how the products work how the insurance companies make their money can be valuable in picking the right products and having people feel comfortable that the products will work the way that they're being presented. So, so it's almost like you have an inside scoop there. Yes, that's a, that's one way to say it. Uh -huh. Yeah, which is, which is really interesting. So I want to go back to an example that you talked about. You talked about uh, an example where one, one child, I'm going to say, I'm going to use that term, is working in the business and the other one is not. And to make things more fair, there's an insurance policy, however that's structured, for the one that is not in the business. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because the one thing that pops into my mind there, and just from personal uh, circumstances my my brother and I have always been part of the family businesses we've we both worked in them in some capacity um I was probably a little bit more active than my brother just because I was the older one but he was always active in some instance and he was never really out of the picture so for for an individual let's just say I'm I'm the brother that's in the business and I've been working in it day in and day out I put you know, put everything I've done in terms of my time, effort after school into this business. And then let's just say my brother's out there. He's not part of the business, but now he gets his hefty insurance policy. How do you come across those conversations where maybe the person, the sibling that's in the in the business says, how is that fair? And how do you how mm -hmm. do you deal with those conversations? And how do you talk to the the parent or the the founding generation around those conversations? Yeah, there is a lot of complexity there. Now, in our world, we work with other advisors who would be better suited to answering those sorts of questions. We basically stay in our lane, which is the life and health insurance. But by being family a family enterprise advisor, as you are, Pradeep, we have a, a, a certain language, a certain tool set that we can use to help in communication. And sometimes uh, the parents are simply not 
aware of what they're doing. They think that it's important to give the same amount to each child. They think that if it's not equal, then it's not fair. But the child that's been in the business, maybe they lost out on other opportunities because they're in the business because it was important to their parents to do that. So maybe they've made more of a sacrifice. But at the end, if insurance isn't there, perhaps, then here's the business. Now you're both shareholders in it. And you've got a brother who wasn't really in the business who is now helping make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And so the parents may not have considered the implications of their inaction or their current planning. And that's where other advisors who understand more of the family dynamics can be very important to make the parents understand the options they have available and the consequences of the status quo. Yeah, that's very important. So thank you for bringing that up. And I think that's very, very interesting because I think a lot of times we think of as insurance being kind of clear cut, you buy a policy and there you go. But there's a lot of behind the scenes conversations and considerations that need to be talked about in a family situation for family business owners. So I remember when I was in the banking sector and was in charge of the retail network and insurance was part of the product portfolio that we had. And we would take a look at our highest performers. And we we noticed that the highest performers were the ones that believed in the insurance the most. They're the ones that had the highest, I'm going to say closing rate. And I don't want to, I don't like to use that term, but I'm going to use it because we're all familiar with sales. Insurance isn't necessarily, you know, something you want to force on something or someone. It's a need. And we've all seen some of the challenges that happen when people don't get insurance. So have you come across or can you share some stories, maybe good news and maybe bad news of some families that have used it effectively and families that might have missed out and some of the challenges that they faced as a result of not using insurance effectively? Yeah, maybe the example would be the nursery. Yeah. Do you want to just give the background? Sure. So uh, this was a, uh, I guess it was really a a nursery, like a plant nursery business started by a couple. Um, I think this was probably about 30 years ago. Probably something like that. We Um, we can't give too many specifics because they're in the GTA and there are people on this call who probably shop there. (laughs) Of course, totally get it. We know, we know that confidentiality is important. They they grew the business and now they've uh, included uh, the next generation in their planning. Um, So they're looking at getting some insurance to sort of smooth that transition uh, and deal with any bumps that might come from, you know, uh, probate and, and final taxation, things of that nature. Um, so that's a situation where, you know, it's not, uh, we, obviously they're still around. So it's not a situation where there's been an immediate benefit for the next generation. Um, but it's the sort of planning that will prevent any hiccups, uh, between the, uh, the new, the new siblings who are partners. Yeah. So the situation there is that two of the children are working in the business and two of them are not. Mm-hmm. And the parents are getting closer to retirement. And so that now thinking about the future, like where do they get retirement income from? Because if they take too much from the business, then there isn't really enough for their children running the business. They are land rich, but they need that because around where they are, like there are residential neighborhoods being built. So the land could certainly be sold, but they have to figure out some things for themselves. They weren't really aware of the tax implications of what would happen. They think of all of the land as their principal residence, but it's not like they have their principal residence on the property, but most of the land isn't part of that. So there's a big tax bill. They don't necessarily want 
the children to have to sell off a portion of the land to pay the tax bill. So insurance can be a way to help with that and also to provide money for the two children who are not in the business. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And do you work closely with the tax professionals that the family business owners have their own professionals or do you have your own tax professionals that you go to when it comes to these complex tax issues? Yeah, we work with other specialists because we are focused on life and health insurance. So we need to collaborate. So with the tax experts, the investment experts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's, That's, uh, those are typically, sorry, uh, those are typically the advisors we work with uh, contacts. Uh, for ourselves personally, we we don't really uh, refer clients to uh, that, that sort of expertise. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would if there was a need, but generally our clients are the clients of another advisor. So we're fitting into that advisor's process, that advisor's team. Mm-hmm. So they they bring you in into the picture, into the conversation, because there's a specific need that's been identified already. You guys just have the expertise to be able to figure out what is the right product, what is the right service, and some maybe even have conversations that haven't been had and, and uncover some situations that, for example, someone like myself as a family business advisor or family enterprise advisor uh, wouldn't have noticed because I'm not a insurance or tax expert. Yes. And again, not to harp on family enterprise advisors as being the most amazing people in the sector, but we've learned how to communicate. So while we're in different niches, we do know how we can talk and we have our tools like the three circle model, et cetera, that we can use to simplify the communication and to make sure that things aren't being missed. Yeah, there's a common language there. And that's something that I see quite often as a business advisor. That's really my area of expertise, as the audience knows, is that I find that when there is a lack of a communication or language that's common amongst the advisors, the family really misses out because things get, they fall through um, the hoops. Things just, things just fall apart. Things take longer. Things are missed. And unfortunately, it's something that can be easily overcome or, uh, if people were actually on the same page. So uh, I'm glad you brought up that common language part because that's very important. So. Insurance, a lot of people, when they think of insurance, if they haven't been introduced to insurance, think of it as being, like I said, simple, but it, it's it's not a space that they want to get into. It's not a conversation that they want to have because it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think there's also the misconception that it might even be too expensive or that you have to go through this extensive health interview or questionnaire or peeing in a cup and blood tests and all these kinds of things. (laughs) How do you get people to overcome those, I'm going to say fears or barriers when it comes to insurance? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of misconceptions, as you've noted. Some of the things you're referring to are more applicable in situations where someone has a need for insurance. So for example, they have a mortgage and they need to cover that off in case they were to pass away. So the family has a home in situations like that. The clients are quite focused on the cost because they see the insurance as an expense. They want to minimize that expense. They want to get rid of the insurance as soon as they can. Most of our work is where insurance isn't needed. So it's really an asset. You've got money sitting in different buckets and you're moving money generally from the fixed income bucket. So things like bonds, GICs, and you're putting it into this other bucket. And so there's really no 
cost, so to speak. It's not something that's affecting anyone's lifestyle because you're taking assets that are already sitting there and you're saying, let's move some into this other asset called insurance. And if you do that, you get certain advantages that arise. I really like how you put that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when it comes to um, even this, in those situations, there are clients who are concerned about the underwriting process, uh, which would be you know the medicals and uh, do we really want people looking at our financials and collecting our social insurance number? Once they look at the benefits of what they can get from from the uh, insurance strategy that we're proposing, um, it, I would say in 90% of cases, those um, questions become non-issues. It's really more uh, of a, it's a matter of familiarity. They just want to know what the process is. Um, and if something goes wrong, what are the remedies? And then we describe that to the clients and it's usually fine. Um, in I'd say I, in the seven or eight years I've been in the business, we've only had one situation where a client simply would not uh, proceed with a paramedical interview. Um, and it was because they wanted to make sure that the information they had told us in the application was exactly what they told the paramedical company. And I hate to say it, but some people may not be uh, completely forthright. Um, and in those situations, there's really nothing you can do, but it's exceedingly rare. Uh, and most clients um, understand that they either need insurance, in which case they'll you know, sort of bear the burden of going through the process of getting it, which again, isn't awful. It's not as bad as some people think, but there are steps to it. Um, and if it's a want situation, then the client will see that the benefit is also worth uh, going through the application and and medical uh, process. Yeah. And there is a bit of a side benefit of going through insurance underwriting, not something you'd want to do for fun. When you go to your family doctor, they can basically tell you how you are today and give you things to keep you in good condition until the next time they see you. And they can see you a lot of times. With insurance, the underwriters are only looking at you once. And they're using predictive medicine. So they're saying that for someone in your condition, what is it, what is it likely going to happen in terms of your life expectancy? So it's almost like projecting things. And there may be things that are discovered because the tests that the insurance companies do are different than tests that normal doctors do. Like with our family doctor, like, uh, like he's been criticized for having too many vitamin D tests. So I guess OHIP keeps track of how many different tests who said, okay, you can have one if you want one, but uh, just keep in mind. But with insurance, they're really predicting into the future what happens with people like the, the particular client. And sometimes there are medical issues that are identified and it's possible for the client to take action to help prevent problems. So they may not be able to get insurance or to get insurance at a low cost, but they've done things that have actually helped them with their existence their life expectancy. Yeah. And you know, that's really interesting because I think that's a whole other, I'm going to say rabbit hole when we talk about the medical system and, <laughs> yeah. and general practitioners and, and some of the things that are overlooked there. But I think that's a really good point. I think there's, like you said, you, you can uncover things. Um, and I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And so, it, it, you know, if you're going to uncover something, you're going to uncover something and, and it's actually a, a positive. Uh, again, going back to the insurance part, how many, if you could if you could give an estimate, how many family businesses or family business owners do you believe have the right insurance strategy or tax strategy um, in terms of a percentage that you've come across? Is it, do you think three quarters of the people have one? Do you think half the people have one? Do you think it's a small fraction that's out there just based on your own personal experience? 
Yeah, it's very difficult to estimate that. And there hasn't been a lot of research in that area. The families that we end up talking to are the ones who are looking at doing something. So their primary advisor, whether it's their investment advisor or their accountant, has identified a situation where insurance may help them. And they're interested enough in order to take a look at that. Uh, my guess would be the majority haven't really done this because insurance has all those stigmas associated with it because it's about dying and people don't want to think about that. Maybe they've had a bad experience in the past or it's been pitched as being too good to be true, et cetera. Uh, and then there's also the issue of what they've been sold because in the insurance world, the advisors get sold, get paid commissions. And so there's an incentive to sell things and maybe what the client got isn't really the right thing for them. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard for us to know in aggregate because that information is not available. And I love statistics and things, but there's not much to analyze. Here. Yeah. And in our experience, as, as was mentioned, most of these clients are not sort of your, your typical everyday family business who doesn't have any planning in place. Like usually um, they're well established and at some point in their careers, um, they've had some form of protection or insurance protection implemented. So I would say, um, like amongst our clients, it's probably 60 or 70%, but in the general population, again, hard to say. You know, I, I really want to enforce this concept of having the right tax professionals by your side or giving you advice, because I've seen a lot of horror stories. I've had some personal uh, family members who have passed and and they were strong-headed. So I'm going to say that they were strong-headed and strong-willed and they didn't take the full advice of the advisors. And things happened to them. So in this one particular instance, I had an uncle that had a business, a uh, successful business, passed away. And he it was successful enough that they had a management team, but he was still the main, you can say, operator. And when he passed, the business just basically folded. Right, because it wasn't necessarily that the expertise wasn't there. It was just more of the morale, right? That figurehead was no longer there and the strategic direction. And so the, the business just folded. And as a result, it had a ripple effect, not only through his immediate family, but all of their children's families as well. And so I've seen the challenges that can result from that. And I, I can see how some advisors may fold um, when someone is strong-willed, like a family business owner is strong-willed, what happens when you come across someone who is that is so adamant and strong, but is going against what you are trying to advise them on doing? Is there is there a technique, a technique, or a tactic, or some way that you get them to think about things differently? Because as business owners, typically they have their own mindsets, they have their own way of doing things. Yeah, the approach we take is to provide education and the opportunity to buy. So if someone has a belief that insurance companies won't pay claims or it's all a scam or whatever, we're not there to change their minds because realistically we couldn't do that. I think we had a situation recently, the client wanted things in writing that the insurance company guaranteed they would pay the claim and all this stuff. Like you can't, like all you can do is make sure things are in place, but you have to be honest and all these things. So. In our model, we're in essence B2B, so we work with other advisors. So there would be a primary advisor who has a relationship with that client. And so we don't make the recommendations about insurance because we're conflicted. We're going to say, buy this insurance, buy that insurance. Like, what else do you expect us to say? Mm -hmm. But they do trust that other advisor. So what we do is we 
when we get information about a client, we put together insurance options and discuss it with that advisor first to see whether things make sense. And if it turns out that perhaps a leveraging strategy where you're borrowing against an insurance contract would be a good choice, but the advisor knows that client doesn't like borrowing money because in their head, like once you pay off your mortgage, that's the last debt you have, you would ever have, then we're not going to present that. But ultimately, the, the typical model would be the advisor hosts the meeting. We come in and explain how insurance might be able to help. Then we go away. The advisor has discussions with that client and the advisor is the one who makes the recommendation because they know that client. They've probably known them for years and have built up trust. So that's the way that we deal with that. So if we were B to C, then it would be very different. We'd have to learn how to close and all of these things that aren't really in our skill set. Like we're, we're nice people, but we are there to really educate. And then there needs to be motivation from either the client or their advisor who cares enough to say, you really need to do this because if you don't, there are these consequences. Mm, that's really interesting. So it's the the need and the want and the desire is already there. You're just trying to give them the best options to be able to get to their goals, basically. Okay. Yes. So, okay. Okay. So this is interesting because this podcast, and you know, when it comes to Business Brothers, we are all about being real. We are very much about being unconventional, about being real and being real personal. Um, and we try not to offend anybody, but we, in, in all honesty too, because you talk about working with other advisors one of the challenges that i come across sometimes is the quality of advice and the level of expertise that other ad advisors are giving and sometimes i look at some of the stuff the advice that's been given and i say where did you get this information from and who in the heck advised you um do you see that because you're saying you work with other advisors and what i see in a lot of cases um, and this isn't to bash any particular discipline, but what I see is a lot of times those advisors aren't leading their clients in the right path or they've missed something significant. What do you do in those instances? If, if you've ever come across that, how do you, how do you re-educate those advisors and how do you have that conversation? Do you have direct conversations with the client or do you leave that up to the advisor to maybe correct some of those issues or challenges? Yeah, like each advisor is an expert in their own niche. And so it's, we'll use accountants as an example. So they're experts in certain things, but they're not experts in insurance, but they probably have opinions about insurance. Mm -hmm. And it may be, well, don't get insurance, buy term and invest a difference or whatever. And it may be self-preservation because if something goes wrong with the insurance, it's not the insurance person who gets blamed. It's the accountant because the accountant was the trusted party. So why should they take the risk of recommending insurance when it's something they don't necessarily know all that much about? Mm -hmm. So the other advisors need to have enough interest in wanting to learn. And if they do, then what we do is we educate them in private over an extended period of time. So we would say that when you're talking to a client, just give us a call, describe the situation, and we'll tell you where insurance may or may not fit. When we prepare the insurance options, we show them to the advisor first. So in this process, we're helping the advisor become more comfortable with insurance themselves. And sometimes we find that the advisor has issues with the size of the premium. Mm -hmm. Like we've got cases like that. And so the issue, because they're not seeing it as an asset transfer, they're seeing it as a cost. And so it takes 
extended time to help people get over those types of biases, just as it would take us time to get over our own biases outside of our niche. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So for, again, going back to the family business perspective, how do you, how do you basically, we, we see that there's a need there right now and we're, we're located not too far from each other. We're in Ontario, Canada. Um, and do you see a, a specific way for family business owners to educate themselves when it comes to insurance? Is there a, a place that they can go to? Is it your website? Um, where do you encourage people, the listeners out there, to really get more information if they're thinking about insurance or if they if they haven't even thought about it, but there's a triggering event? And actually, let me let me. I, I, I'm going to come back to this here in a second. I'm going to I'm going to pause that first question here. Let's talk about triggering of events because I think that's very important. So, one of the triggering events for me when I got insurance on the personal side was when we found out that my wife was pregnant. That was one of the very first things that I did was I went and upped my life insurance mm-hmm. um, because I I knew that it, there was this, someone else that I'm going to have to look after now. And so if something happened to me, then my unborn child will have to be taken care of. What are some triggering events? So this is good for the audience because this is really important for you to pay attention to this because you might be going through a specific scenario or situation that is a triggering event that you should pay attention to so you can get the proper protection or insurance or tax planning that you need. So Promote or Jeevan, can you talk about a few, uh, maybe five or six triggering events that you think are very important for people to pay attention to? Uh, sure. Um, one would be uh, a change in uh, lifestyle for a family member. And let me go more into detail. Um, we have a client who's a doctor and she has a sister who has some disabilities. Um, and her mother used to take care of the sister. Uh, but now the mother has entered long-term care, which means that someone has to take care of the sister and that person is her. Um, and as soon as that happened, she realized, well, I'm the only one left. If something happens to me, my sister has nowhere to go and she can't take care of herself. So that was a triggering event for her to get disability insurance, critical illness insurance, things to take care of both of them if something were to happen to her while she's alive, as well as uh, life insurance. Um, so that's an example of, you know, some in this case, something happened to her mother and it was a cascade effect that led to her uh, looking at insurance. Um, of course, there's the standard situations of buying a home or expecting a child. Um, it could also be, um, I, I think people sometimes have a, uh, a bit of a wake-up call as to their own mortality. A good example of this would be, well, the start of the COVID pandemic. We noticed that you know a lot of people were starting to look at insurance because they realized, you know what, I I have... I'm not immortal. Look what's happening in the world. Um, and that can also be a triggering event. It doesn't have to be that significant necessarily. Um, but th- there's a whole slew of things to, to consider um, when it comes to looking at one's own health and one's own uh, future goals for what you know someone wants to accomplish if they're not there anymore uh, for both their legacy and for the uh, people that they care for. Right. So those examples so far have generally been need-based where it's like something happens and we need insurance because we don't have enough assets. There are other kinds of triggers such as being successful in business and starting to accumulate retained earnings. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So in Canada, retained earnings are taxed at around 50%. So that's a lot of tax. If some of that money is put into an insurance contract, then there is no tax on the growth. And there are ways that that those assets can be used by taking loans personally, et cetera. So that could be a triggering event. There could be the sale of a business, for example. So now there's a lot of tax that needs to be paid at that time. Insurance can't help at that moment, but perhaps a charitable gift is made at that time. But so the say that like a million dollars is now donated to a charity, but now the million dollars is gone the tax savings can be used to buy a million dollars of life insurance. Mm. So in a way, the heirs are then kept whole. So there can be things like that, or it might be just, just regular financial planning, where now the financial plan is updated and it shows the the tax liabilities at death. And then in, what are different ways to cover that? So there are the need-based things, and there are also the want-based things. And the wants often arise when awareness is brought, because people don't necessarily know that, insurance could help in situations where they're still alive. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, because one of the buckets that we focus on at Business Brothers is wealth elevation. So I'm going to ask this question just kind of as as a newbie. I'm going to pretend I'm a newbie here. So do you believe that insurance is a method to increase a person's wealth? Mm, Now you've got a stump. I I would say... No, that that's not really an appropriate use of insurance, and uh, Sierra would certainly not be happy if we said yes. Uh, <laughs> so we would, we I think we would both agree that it's not really a way to um, generate wealth. Um, I, I did touch on the sort of the phrase of uh, estate generation, um, but that's not really to you know increase your net worth just for the sake of you know having more money for your heirs. It's really so there's money to support uh, your heirs and their goals, uh, or perhaps, you know, a spouse that's uh, survived uh, with with their goals. Um, But if someone was to say, you know, um, can I just get $10 million of insurance so my my kids, you know, can get a mega yacht or something, that wouldn't really be appropriate. (laughs) And that's not happening, so don't worry. (laughs) So I think think there's a fine line uh, between, you know, getting insurance uh, to address a need or a want and, you know, maybe going too far uh, with that approach. Yeah. So if you look at insurance and I'm thinking of permanent life insurance here, it functions very much like a bond. It's sometimes called a life bond. It's a bond that stays there forever. So it could be part of someone's fixed investment portfolio. So they've got money sitting in GICs or bonds that are quite heavily taxed. Some of that money could go into insurance and then you have an asset, but a bond is not going to necessarily beat the stock markets or investing in your own business and things. And so sometimes insurance gets presented as being too good to be true. And it's not a magical investment. Insurance companies have to make money. Uh, They're not just creating wealth. And sometimes when it looks like insurance is magical, it's because it's being compared against something else unfairly. Mm -hmm. So it takes time for us to convince advisors the about the suitable ways to use insurance and then also to convince the clients because chances are very high that they've seen something that seemed quite sizzly and they were skeptical about it. And then they don't necessarily look at insurance where it does have substance. 
Okay. So th- I appreciate that answer because I think that just talks to your basically your, your morals and your ethics there. So I have two questions here. Um, do you believe that insurance is a good way to protect your wealth? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That one we can answer quickly. Okay, that, that was a quick one. And secondly, have you seen in- instances or circumstances where people, uh, maybe obviously not yourselves, but other advisors have potentially um, led people to believe that insurance, uh, or let me just redirect that, that insurance has been used maybe or misused or abused because you're talking about ways, you know, buying a yacht or whatever that is. Um, have you seen people try to work the system when it comes to insurance? Yes. I mean, we have seen situations where insurance is used where we didn't quite see why it was being used apart from there's the, the belief that insurance is sold, not bought. And so someone who is very good at sales can convince people to get things and give all the reasons why it's a good choice when perhaps it isn't. Because the issue with insurance is that advisors are not necessarily fiduciaries. So it's not that they're out to do bad things, but they may not present the cons of something as well as they present the pros. And in our approach, we want to educate people because if anything, it's more important for us to maintain the relationship with the advisors we support than with their clients. Mm -hmm. So if it turns out that a particular client doesn't get something, but they feel better about their advisor because they were shown insurance in a way that finally made sense to them, then we've achieved our goal. Uh, But yes, we have seen too many situations where insurance has been used in ways that would be a little questionable from my perspective as an actuary, knowing how the products work, and then even your perspective too. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly situations where it's been marketed in a way that's it's just false, really. For example, um, we have a few policies that we were looking at uh, on behalf of our clients where, you know, they bought these policies 20 years ago and the, the advisor said, yeah, this policy will yield 9% a year um, forever. And, you know, now... Uh, in the current day, those policies are collapsing because it, when that 9% doesn't happen, the policy no longer performs and there's no cash value to keep the policy going. And now the insurer comes to the client and says, um, well, you know, uh, this policy's uh, cost, this policy, this policy's premium increases each year. Uh, now it's going to cost you about $37,000 a year, even though it costs you maybe $500 a year when you bought it. Um, would you like to do that? And the client says, well, no. And the insurer says, okay, we understand. Uh, say goodbye to your $2 million policy. And it's not necessarily the insurer being evil there. It's the advisor back then not having um, sold the client something that was appropriate. Because there are there are actually some cases where a policy like that makes sense, but just not for most clients. Right. And then service is also important. So the product was perhaps not monitored yes. because the advisor gets paid essentially at the time it's sold and not so much for ongoing service. Mm-hmm. But without the ongoing service, the chances of that product performing as expected are reduced quite a bit. So insurance is just like any other portfolio. It should be monitored. It should have attention to it at some particular time, whatever frequency it is. So that's that's really interesting. So you guys have actually educated me on a number of things here. So I want to thank you. And we've talked about the pros and the cons. And I appreciate your honesty because, uh, Pramod, you talked about something. I think a lot of times insurance is kind of oversold. It's it's made to be this magic formula 
to you know take let's just say an ultra wealth take an ultra wealthy person and make them even more wealthy um and so i'm glad you clarified both you gentlemen clarified a few things there so that just goes to your integrity and it, and it gives some things to think about for our listeners as well so if our listeners are interested in learning more about strategies when it comes to tax or insurance where can they find you guys and the best place would be to visit our website taxevity.com so t-a-x-e-v-i-t-y.com that's cool uh, so they can go there and then i'm assuming that there's some way to contact you through the website as well yeah, there's a contact page. We have like we're all over the place. So like we're on LinkedIn. People can connect there. We have our company page. We have hundreds of videos on YouTube. So as long as they search for Taxevity, they'll find us and we'd be happy to connect with uh, with them whatever way they would like. Okay, awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. I want to thank you both, Pramod and Jeevan, for being on the show today. I got a ton of value. I'm hoping that you listeners out there got a ton of value too. So we will see you next time. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank Bye. you. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you got value from the show, we have one simple ask. Please go to your favorite podcast platform and hit subscribe. We'll see you next time.